Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Hey, uh, praise God. I'm thankful for the technology. A lot of the technology I don't like. Even some of the technology I don't like still has a lot of benefits to it, especially today when I go uh, online to Amazon and I had to buy a thermometer for work. It's a really good one that I found, but I was able to do that in about two minutes and a blood pressure cuff that doesn't have the, the hose attached to it. But I was able to do that in just a few minutes versus going to some store somewhere, finding it, you know, and all the things as I shared with you on Sunday about the Sears and Roebuck catalog. Remember those days that it would take a month if you had to buy something. So yes, there's a lot of downsides to technology. There's a lot of downsides in how it's removed the the face-to-face communication and all that we sadly have lost in that. We have to make overt acts of our will Put those phones down when you're eating with your family. Please eat with your family. Turn the TV off and spend time together. You hear what I'm saying? FaceTime was never meant to be done on a phone. It's called FaceTime for a reason. I want to see your beautiful face. Y'all, that went way over, didn't it? I just think the SR-71 Blackbird just went... No, it... uh. FaceTime is actually spend time with people talking face-to-face is what I'm saying in that. You cannot, you know, it's wonderful that we have that, and there's, there's instances and cases where you can't get together, but do as much as you can to get together. Spend time with your family because, listen, how many people think back as you read God's Word, those people were alive at one point, all the worries they had, all the frustrations they had, all the things that they were battling, Those things are nothing but distant memories in some cases, right? All the things that people worried about, and even the things that we worried about a long time ago, all those things God took care of, didn't he? God is faithful. Don't forget that, and don't ruin the ability to have good, genuine friendships, relationships, and fellowship with your family and those God's blessed you with because of the foolish little things that momentarily tie up our time, our affections, and things for absolutely nothing. I hope you have your Bible tonight. If you do, turn to Romans chapter 8. Kind of along that note, tonight's message is titled Present Pain. Uh, Don't forget that until we get the screens fixed, the, the points will be on the back. So don't feel bad. If you turn around, that doesn't mean to me that you're going to offend me or hurt my feelings. Uh, I really appreciate those that take notes, and I encourage you to do that. I cannot faithfully cover everything that's in any of the scriptures in the time frames that we have. So I challenge you to spend time digging deeper into each and everything that we cover in God's Word. You will not even, even in yourself, if you spent months, you can take months and spend on a, on a scripture into the depth of it, digging into the heart of it, And I just want to challenge you, because remember, we talked about Sunday. Scripture says, when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found. Delight yourself in him, he will give you the desire of your heart. So if your desire is a deeper relationship and understanding and fellowship with the Father, what do I say? I said, dwell in his presence. Pray without ceasing, as Scripture says. 
Get in God's presence and don't leave it. Stay in the presence of the Lord and you will grow and become the person that you see and wish you had that relationship with the Lord that they have. They didn't just get that for some award. They got that as a reward for diligently seeking the Father. Amen? Amen. We're going to look at verses 18 through 21 tonight. Again, of a message titled Present Pain. And if you're physically able tonight, out of reverence, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's Son to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, notwithstandingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Father, hide me behind the cross tonight, Lord, so that you may speak to hearts as only you can. Father, be glorified, magnified, honored, lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you know, as I had been meditating on what God would have me share tonight and studying, uh, I got that, that note about Dr. Canonico's uh, son uh, passing away, and it just had reiterated because I've thought a lot the last few days about some people that have been suffering, some people who have endured great loss, and, and it's even at those times that we don't, I, I don't, because I know that God is faithful, he's trustworthy, as I share with you the puzzle continually, the puzzle pieces, God knows. God knows the brush strokes of every canvas. I continually see these things because it's easy for us in our finite state when we are having an encounter with an infinite God, for us, the battle is to not question him, not able to understand, we cannot understand God. God is God. The revealed things, Scripture says, God has given us, but the secret things are His. God's ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts higher than our thoughts. And even as I shared Sunday with you again about my parents and losing my sister Martha on the mission field, having said that they had a boy, had a, would have had a girl, they were not going to have any more children, and had God not been faithful to do what God did and allowing Martha to go home, it paved the way for my brother to be born and then also, I right, don't have a girl, still want a girl. And then I was born and ended up adopting my two sisters as a result of that. So I didn't share that part with you again Sunday, but God is ever faithful. God knows. He knows every step. He knows every line. He knows every single door that needs to be opened. And we have that hard part of trusting him. And the present pain, though, in those moments is very difficult. As many of you have endured very difficult, traumatic situations, those phone calls that I, I talk about continually that people will get in the middle of the night, I don't like it. When my phone rings in the middle of the night, I literally would rather go and be lost in a foreign country and completely unaware of where to, do, where to go and what to do than to answer those phone calls. I don't like people sad. I don't want people sad. It's very hard when someone is dealing with great anguish or heartbreak. I want to fix it. I'm a fixer. So this present pain that we deal with right now in those situations, and we're all going to have those, 
If you're breathing and you have a heartbeat, we are going to face trials. We're going to face tribulations. We have the promise in Scripture of that. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But this present pain, the beauty of it is we know what that's ultimately going to pave the way for. And when you see Scripture in verse 18 tonight, listen to what it says again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. What is the glory that's going to be revealed to us? <clears throat> One day we're going to go, as we've experienced, hopefully all of you here, the salvation process that opened the door in the salvation process for the sanctification process to begin. That sanctification process is the training. Ask anybody who's been in the military. Training periods. No one goes, oh, it's just they don't look back. Down the road, you look back as a woman does when she gives birth. In the moment, she disdains it. It hurts. It's painful. It's heart. It's heart-wrenching. And when you have that baby, still remember that pain, don't you? But then down the road, you can look back with a fondness on that experience. But in the moment, it's not, is it? It's tough, painful. It's suffering. When you're going through basic training, whether it's military in any branch, you are going to suffer. They don't make that easy. You have to work very hard for it. Spiritually speaking, that is what we're enduring right now. The suffering is followers of Christ because God is preparing us. He's training us. I, I always reference back to James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy. What? We have that? When. So that, that doesn't say if you face trials. No, James chapter 1 shares when. So we know that they're going to come, and we know, though, as it goes on in that, that we must be complete, not lacking anything. So these sufferings are paving way for the beauty of what it says there in 18 again. With It's not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. What is the glory? We're going to stand in the presence of the Lord one day, and his full glory will be revealed to us when the moment that we breathe our final breath. Imagine all of this is going to be nothing but a, I'm going to even, not even call it a distant memory. Why? Because if we remembered the heartbreak, the pain, and the hurt of the world, what would it do? It would bring sadness. What do we know about Scripture saying when the old order is passed away? We know that there will be no more tears. It says he'll wipe away every tear from our eye. We know when John, <clears throat> when God had John in Revelation and the vision in, Romans, in Revelation chapter 5, John's weeping. And I remember someone one day coming to me thinking they'd finally found this real inaccuracy. And they said, Brother Jonathan, you said in heaven there's going to be no more tears. And look, John is weeping. And I said, absolutely right he is. Because he wasn't in a glorified state. He was in a vision. That is a pre-heaven state of being. He is in a vision. He is not in the glorified state in the fact that heaven in a glorified state, there will be no tears. We know that. And John had not achieved glorification yet. He was in a vision. So that was the reason that John was able to weep because he was not in that glorified state. But one day we are going to have God's glory be revealed to us and it will occur as followers of Christ, the moment that we breathe that final breath. We are going to have no more the sufferings of this present time. And that's what I want to share with you. The first thing tonight is this. Our troubles and trials 
are only momentary. I referenced just a few moments ago the beginning of time and creation with Adam and Eve. Now, you think about 7,500, 8,000 years ago, give or take, it doesn't matter to me. I just know it's true. Doesn't, I don't, it does not matter to me exactly the date that it happened, but I know there was a beginning, and I know that there was the fall of mankind. And I know that before the fall of mankind, God was doing with Adam what we are able to do today, which from the time that Adam and Eve decided that they did not like the fact that God had not given them everything because the temptation was saying that, hey, God gave you everything, but, but <laughs> he doesn't want you to be like him, so he withheld something from you. And when they bought that lie, they were immediately forced from his presence. No longer was God walking with them. He did not walk with Adam in the cool of the day anymore because sin removed the ability for mankind to walk with God. All through the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, we see the ramifications of sin. We see the priests going in, and I reference it continually because I think it's very important as they would go walk into the presence of the Lord in the Holy of Holies, they had bells on the bottom of their robes and a rope tied around their ankle. Because if they entered God's presence and not dealt with something, they were immediately ushered into eternal rest. Now, eternal rest, Brother Jonathan, what's that? In the Old Testament, no one could enter God's presence. They could not enter God's presence eternally. You know why? Because the propitiation, the payment for sin had not been atoned for completely. There was no, no ability at that point to satisfy the wrath for sin. We know that in one man, we're all made sinners, and that's Adam. So therefore, until what happened at Jesus' death? Anybody remember this interesting event that happened with people who had died? Graves were opened and people came back to life. You know, it's interesting because if you start to think about this conceptually, you had at this moment for the first time in history when Jesus had satisfied the wrath of God and one man were all made sinners and in one, in Christ, were all made righteous. So those people who had been followers of God, who had honored God, who had, had loved God, who had served him to the greatest degree they were able to, Old Testament, Old Covenant, had the ability to go from that place of soul sleep. Remember the witch at Endor? Called up Samuel? You see the picture of what soul sleep was. Why did you what? Samuel says, why did you wake me? Why did you bother me? What are you doing? I'm sleeping. Tomorrow, Saul, you'll be with me. And interestingly enough, we know in Scripture, we see Paul reference to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Beautiful picture of the old covenant versus the new covenant. And tonight, see, that's why we know that the old order, we could not enter the glorious presence of the Lord. We could not do what God originally intended for mankind to do, which was to walk with him, to dwell with him. And what is so beautiful in the New Testament under the new covenant, what was broken, the ability to walk with God, was restored as Jesus, the eternal high priest. Now tonight, my question to you is, Adam and Eve broke that ability to walk with him. Adam lost that. 
Tonight, are you walking with him? Are you walking with the Father? Because if not, you're ruining, you're, you're, you're missing out on one of the most amazing experiences that any human being can ever do. And that is to do what Adam did with God, walk with God. Jesus gave us the ability as the eternal high priest, we're not righteous because of us, right? We're righteous because of Christ's righteousness imputed, given to us. He became the propitiation. He was the payment. He substitutionary atoned. He atoned for us on a substitutionary. He substituted himself in our place. And tonight it's so beautiful because one day we are going to be able to be transported, removed from the old order, transported into the new order. No more tears, no more night. Old order will have passed away. And I'm excited about that tonight because this present pain, the present trials, the present tribulations are fleeting. They are momentary. You know how long ago it was that the rich man and Lazarus, we read this narrative of the rich man and Lazarus. We read the one of the rich man who's building bigger barns, right? Storing up more things. And what does it say? He says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. You know how quickly those stories occurred in, in the span and scope, really, of history? Nothing more than vapors. Our life is but a vapor. I think I sent that thing to you yesterday about how quickly we will have been gone. We will have been a hundred years after we are living and breathing. Will church will be there if, apart from Christ's return Instant. Who's going to remember us a hundred years from now, church, honestly? Who's going to remember if your home is still standing? I'll be honest with you, I don't think any one of our homes that have been built in this generation age, those ones that were built with old growth lumber, very few of them stand now. But imagine the homes that we live in now. What will be left of the footprint that we leave? What do I always say? The winds of time are blowing the sands of time. And as we are, it's just like the, the old footprints thing, but an, an analogy in this, we're walking on the beach when you walk. Have you ever noticed when you walk on the beach, you know, your feet are sinking in the sand. If it's a windy day, all 15 minutes, 20 minutes later, you go back there and those footprints are almost gone. See, that's the thing. That's what life is. In anything we do apart from Christ, they are on the, sh this, this, the shifting sands of life and the winds of time are blowing the sands of time. And we are all but a memory in short order and then nothing after those subsequent generations. How many people in here can tell me about your great-great-great-grandfather and you might have looked at it on some genealogy website or a book maybe, like one of my uncles has written about our family generation lineage, and you, you might be able to go back and look at that, but for the most part, we don't know a lot about those people, do we? And the same will be spoken and true of us. I don't care about the internet, doesn't matter. Somebody's gonna be able to find something, but we will be all but a memory. All of this present pain will be gone. See, those people during those times thought the things that they were dealing with were so consequential when in reality, the only things this, this evening, church, this morning, tomorrow morning, and every morning until the day that we breathe our, all of those 
Little things are inconsequential. The things of eternity are consequential. The things, the matters of the heart. Why? Because the matters of the heart are the matters of eternity. I'm not talking about the cerebral things that we're frustrated about, we're aggravated about, or I'm, I, I, I have a, a family history of clinical depression or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about matters of the heart are the matters of eternity. Meaning, ultimately, what you do with Jesus Christ determines your eternal destination. It's not about knowing him in head because so many people I have met in my lifetime, even before coming to faith in Christ, I remember them vividly some um, certain instances where people would cry at Easter and get very emotional at Christmas and just love the thought of church and religion. And I remember one in particular who gave their life to Christ one day and this person was so emotional for all these years that I'd known them, but they were lost because they knew religion in a cerebral sense. They knew it in head knowledge, but they did not know what walking with Christ was. And sadly, I think that's one of the most dangerous things when Billy Graham said he believes 75% of people in churches didn't know what, didn't, didn't know Christ. They didn't know what walking with Christ is, that they were just like the parable of the soils. 25% of that were ones that produced a crop the same way that with Jesus after John chapter 6. When you see that, and I talk about that continually, very important, I think. When after he says, they said, teacher, this is tough teaching. It says, many of them turned in John 6, 66. It says, no longer followed him. There is nothing easy about walking with Christ. It is about a relationship. It's about dying to ourselves and growing and conforming into the likeness of Christ. It's recognizing that this present pain, Christ did not come through salvation to remove the present pain that we have. He came to remove the stain of sin and the brokenness that sin brought to us. We know from Scripture the promise is that things are not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, the more faithful we are to the call as a disciple, the more painful things will be. Remember, when they hate you, they hated me first. Interesting, in our culture now, the more you reference spiritual things of the Lord, I'm not spiritual, I'm talking about the things of Christ, the name of Christ, the more divisive relationships become when you're serious about the call of a disciple. When you live according to the full counsel of God's word, I'm not talking about, let's talk about the good things, the hope and the peace and the joy and hold the persecution, the trials, the tribulations, the sacrifice, the suffering and the service. Buffet Christianity is not walking in the fullness of Christ. It requires daily, as I said with Joshua 24, Choose you this day whom you will serve. It is for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a daily choice to wake up and allow Christ Jesus preeminence. Preeminence, number one. And it's an everyday thing because we battle the flesh, don't we? Talked this past week about feeding. What nature are we feeding? Are you feeding spiritual nature? Are you feeding the, the God man in you? That spiritual nature, or are you yielding, letting default? That default nature that so easily starts to awaken the beast, right, that is within the sin nature that we are in battle and conflict with, are you feeding that? Because if you're feeding that, we ultimately end up with this thing where what becomes stronger is what's fed. 
why it's so important and why I continually reiterate with reading God's word and why I print, I take all of the time every year to print out those read through the Bible cards and why I continually challenge you to read God's word because God's word doesn't return void. And God answers and God leads and God guides and God directs. What it does though, it feeds the spiritual man when we're obedient to scripture. When we burn God's word on our heart, it says so we might not sin against God. The choice that we make every single day, though, no matter what. Oh, you know, some people go on vacation and, well, I take a break from everything. Don't take a break from reading God's word. We have to read God's word. We have nothing with which Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 can ever be a true sublime reality for us. Trusting in him with all of your heart, leaning not into your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Other versions say, make your path straight. It's very clear, though, that in that, God directs our steps. He places our steps. It's almost, in essence, the picture of Peter when he steps outside that boat. Peter had no ability, had no supernatural ability to walk on water apart from the power of God, the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? He walked out of that boat because Jesus told him to. And you literally realize that's the call of the disciple every single day. It's in essence Jesus saying, come to me. Just like scripture saying, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden in that promise. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. In the promise, you will find rest for your souls. But the issue becomes... Are we going to listen to it? How many Christians do I hear on a daily? I'm just so stressed. I'm so worried. I'm so, I don't know what to do. And I just, well, there's scripture call to come if you're weary. And the promise is not might, not could. It says, I will give you rest. But then the following part of that is, okay, I'm going to bring it to him. And then I want some rest. Then it goes right into Take my yoke upon you and learn what it's saying. God's saying is come to me, give it to me. Let me have this present pain. Let me have this heartache. Let me have this struggle, this battle. And when you do that, I'll give you rest. And by the way, get in my word. Take my yoke upon you and learn. How do we take a yoke and learn if we're not in God's word? How do we delight ourselves in him if we're not in his word? So what do we do? We take a yoke upon, a yoke is easy, my burden is light. So what we know from the Greek is it says, become a doulos, a slave. Become a slave. What are slaves responsible for? Nothing. Only doing the master's will. They're not responsible for their food. They're not responsible for their lodging. They're not responsible for any of the provisions of their life because they have given themselves over to the master. That is why I think doulos is such a good word when you look at that slave because it's saying to us, let him do it all. All we have to do is the Father's will. God will supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. You want present pain? Give it to him. Give it to him. You want it? You can bear it yourself. I can't choose for you to do what Scripture says. 
But our troubles and trials, they're momentary. All of these things. I know in my lifetime, I've been worried about things I needed to worry about. And I remember I used to, literally, I was a master worrier. And the thing about it is, it is what I I share continually. It's the law of diminishing returns. Because you get less back. You, You get nothing back. Meaning, you're investing all of this energy and effort only to get nothing in turn. And this is what I know. There's not a person in here, if I gave you $1,000 and said, listen, I want you, or no, it's your own money, and you invested that $1,000, if you lose it all, are going to keep taking another 1000 and putting it in there unless you are truly foolish. You're going to go, you know what, I don't want to do that. That's a waste. I'm getting nothing in return for it. But do you realize when we continue worry, we get nothing, it changes nothing. This present pain, if we sit there and worry about it and wonder what we're going to do instead of carrying it to him and letting it go, letting God take and make brushstrokes out of that pain for his glory, you're dropping something and getting nothing back in the same way you would not take another $1,000 knowing that that's going to be the outcome. You would not do that. But why do we seem that that is a rational and reasonable act as Christians doing spiritually speaking. We have to understand the magnitude of what that is. Not only is it sinful, because what we're saying to God when we are worrying is what? You're not going to do it, God, or I fear you're not going to do. You're not going to take care of me. You're not going to provide. God, I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm responsible now to help you do your job. Nowhere in Scripture does he ever say that. Everything is actually the polar opposite extreme. Everywhere in Scripture says, come, give, I'll do it. Just give it to me. And then we look here at verses 19 through 21. <clears throat> There's only two life application principles this morning or tonight. For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, notwithstandingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Second and final thing I want to share with you tonight is this. Our present trials and pain will give way to the glory of eternity in God's presence. I'm so thankful that this bondage referred to in 21, the bondage to decay. and up, You know what that is, right? Think about everything around. Everything is in bondage to what? Sin. Why are we different then? Because as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are taken from the enemy's realm and placed into the realm of the kingdom. Under God's protection, his, ready? Covenantial protection. Covenant, yes, covenant. Under what covenant? The new covenant in Jesus Christ. We have been called out, Scripture says, set apart. That's why Scripture talks about with the light. Be a city set on a hill. Well, you're not going to go into a room and take a candle and put it on the floor, are you? You won't put it under your bed. Not only could you catch the bed on fire, but no one's going to see the light. Why scripture says, put it up high. You want it up there. Why? So that the light dispels the darkness. 
We are what? Torchbearers. Christians. In a world of darkness. I'm not talking about physical light either. I'm talking about spiritual darkness. The darkness is everywhere. And see, when we've been called out, it's that same as Colossians chapter 3. If we've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set our affections on things above, not on the things of the earth, meaning we've been called out. You've been risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. We have been made alive in Christ. The old man is put to death, laid down the picture of baptism, dying to self, burying the old nature, being raised to walk in the newness of Christ, washed in his blood. What a beautiful picture that baptism displays for the world. What did they do in early church history? We're at in Acts when they were getting baptized. You know where they did it? They did it in the town square. You think Nero came out and had a party when you got saved during his reign? You know anything about Nero, church? Anybody in here know him? He was a horrid, horrid man. Disdained Christians. Used them to light the streets at night putting them on posts and burning them. He had a special hatred for Christians. So imagine during Nero's reign, you get saved. Are you excited? You better realize that's where the essence, when it says, take up your cross and follow me. Because what that was, was basically in Nero's time and many times throughout history, a death sentence to a Christian. Can you imagine being a Christian today, right now in North Korea? Hmm? Because, I'll be perfectly honest with you, in the humanity of the human condition, it would be very easy to hide it under a bushel, yes. Because as I've shared with you, and you can study for yourself, North Korea has the Kim dynasty has a special disdain for Christians. They hate them. They have tortured and tormented them by the thousands. They disdained them. Can you imagine how easy it would be to justify? Remember I shared with you about O.K. Lee back in 2008 or 2006, 7, 8-ish, who was killed by North Korea for her love for Christ, had, had children, had a family, would not renounce her faith in Jesus Christ. They put her into molten metal. It's very easy for us to sit here and talk about how, oh, you'd be willing to go to death for the Lord, but in all honesty, what I'd say, you better continually be conforming into the likeness of Christ, growing in God's word, growing in truth, and in the depth of your walk with Christ, because I will promise you, no matter who you are in here, that would be a very difficult decision to make, no matter how easily we will say that off the cuff. Only when we have allowed the truth of God to permeate the essence of everything that we are, that as I share with you in police training, we're running to danger and running to potential death becomes your default. The same thing scripturally will happen when we delight ourselves in him, when we're obedient to the call of a disciple, obedient to growth, 
putting on the full armor of God that we are conformed into the likeness of Christ to the level with which we become a Stephen, we become a Paul, we become a Silas and those who lovingly, willingly, faithfully subjected themselves to great suffering in the present pain, recognizing as you see Stephen in, the, in, in Acts when he's being stoned, see set heaven opened and Jesus standing at the right hand. You think he just picked up a Bible one day and said, you know what, I'm going to go out and be a missionary. He had spent great time in God's word, seeking God's face. You know what he knew? He knew the truth, and he was willing to die for it. As he did exactly what Jesus did, as he prayed, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And as I won't go in it tonight again, but again, want to highlight the beauty of Jesus standing for Stephen's arrival. Oh, God, let us live a life with which Christ would stand as we enter his presence one day. Because we know that the symbolism of Jesus being seated when he went to heaven, seated at the right hand of Father, signifying the work had been finished. Amen. We see Jesus stand to honor the life and the death of Stephen. Amen? Are you desiring tonight to live a life that draws others to Christ? Or are you religious? Are you walking with Christ? Or as that, that book, uh, Fan, are you a follower or a fan? It's not a fan, uh, Eidelman? Not a fan? That's a good book. If you get a chance to read it, I'd encourage you to do it. You know what this is talking about? How many people are fans of the gospel of Christ and the call of a disciple, but not a follower of Christ? I've talked to you about Jesus with the disciples coming down on the beach, right? And he says, hey, come follow me. How many people, you ready? How many people that are professed Christians that ran home, got a lawn chair with their tea, brought their belongings, went right back to where Jesus said that and spent the rest of their life telling people that they had met Jesus. They knew all about him. They know what he looks like. They know what he smelled like. They know what he was wearing. They literally, in some cases, were brushed. Brushed arms with him. You know what the heartbreaking part of it is? You merely stayed on the beach to proclaim the truth of Christ, you miss the whole entire boat because Jesus doesn't need fans and he doesn't want fans. Jesus wants followers. He wants followers. What did they do? When you see the disciples called, they get up and they follow him. Fans don't do that. Fans don't spend time in God's word because they don't understand it. They make excuses for why they don't read God's word. They don't have a desire to get in God's presence and dwell with him. Prayer is an arduous act that ends in about 35 seconds. It's not something that is a, Dad, I get to talk to you again. God, thank you for this privilege that Jesus afforded us through the death, burial, and resurrection. God, thank you for tearing down the dividing wall that prevented me 
from walking with you, from getting into your presence, no matter how broken I might be, no matter how fractured my life might seem, God, thank you for the privilege of allowing me to enter your presence. But how many people today, honestly, are getting in God's presence and when they do it, get excited about spending time with dad? Thankful for the supreme privilege when they, when they open, God, thank you for the men and women that lay lives down for this blood-bought book, as I refer to it as. God, thank you for the faithful men and women, even in modern history, that have paved the way for us to hear God speak to us. He speaks to all of it. As I was shared, talking to a brother this afternoon about the Gibeonite deception, the Gibeonite deception, thank God that his word spells out word for word, letter for letter, the danger of the deception that is rife all around us. And as we see the Israelites taking captive the brand new promised land that God had promised them, the Gibeonites show up to taste the provisions. They see their shoes are worn out because we've come from a long way, they said to them. Their wineskins were about to burst. Their bread was moldy and it was stale. What a what other indicators do we need? It says they tasted the provisions. And then it says, but they did not seek the Lord. How many people right now are tasting provisions? How many people under the guise of, you know what, it's a duck, it's just, I know it is. It quacks like it, it looks like it. it is, I, I can save all the prayer. You know, God's busy because he's got a lot of things going on and I, I know God just wants me to make good decisions because he gave me a brain to make that decision with. Oh, really? The Israelites did it too. Oh, there's another man that did it too in relation to something more catastrophic. It's a man by the name of Samson. Remember his parents begging him, Samson, why don't you marry a woman from among your people, meaning God followers, God lovers. Oh, no, I want her, get her for me. Sadly, we see the implications of the parents' compromise in the events that unfold in Samson's life. Now, what do we do now? It was of the Lord. God can take the greatest of messes. And in Romans 8, 28, he works all things together for good. You think Samson was saying that as he was in front of the Philistines with his eyes gouged out as they made him dance in front of them to entertain them? Wonder how exciting it was at that time. For Samson, remember, think she was worth it? I'd say not. How much present pain is the reality of our complacency, our apathy, our indifference tonight? If we're suffering and the present pain is a result of our steadfast allegiance to Christ and glorying in the cross of Christ and him crucified to God be the glory. But if tonight our pain is a result of our disobedience and our apathy and our indifference, may God have mercy on us, but more importantly, may God convict us to repentance so that we might once again restore, restore the line of communication and get in his presence. Well, what do you mean? 
Sin separates us from God. God goes nowhere, church. Don't ever forget that God goes nowhere. We bow out of his presence in fellowship when we decide that we want to do what we want to do. No one, it's almost as if when our little ones say, I'm going to do what I want to do and you can't tell me what to do. Well, God will let us go. He'll let us do what we want to do. There's only one problem. The implications, the consequential issue is the hard one. Tonight, stay in God's presence, dwell in God's presence in full faith, recognizing that time of sanctification is going to give way to glorification, but also let the pain not be from actions and consequences. Let it be because we were so steadfast in our love and our passion for Christ that the world around us disdains what and who we are. Let it be that we suffer for, as Scripture says, the name. And by the way, it says if we suffer for the name, consider it a blessing that you have been found worthy to suffer for his name. It even tells us in Scripture that we are blessed when we suffer for the cause of Christ. I hope tonight that's the case, and I pray if there's something in your life that has you out of step, that during the invitation tonight, there's one beautiful thing, 1 John 1, 9. I love the promises of Scripture. Amen? We've reiterated a bunch of them tonight. We've gone over a whole lot of Scripture. But this is what I know. 1 John 1, 9, I, I most assuredly leave you with. If you, and by the way, when that says if you, it's all of us. If you confess your sin, ready for a promise? He, his part, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from, and I love this because I just imagine it in big letters, A-L-L, all unrighteousness. So as the Spirit of God convicts us, by the way, the Spirit says, do not allow the deceitfulness of sin to harden your heart. Be very careful because sin is deceptive and it will harden your heart. So as the Spirit convicts, answer that conviction. Do you know why? That there might be times of refreshment. Confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you, ready, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if there's something in the way tonight that's preventing God from hearing your prayers, I want to encourage you during the invitation to lay it at his feet. You can do it over here. Remember over here, nobody's going to bother you. Over here, we'll pray over you. Prodigal children, family members at the end of there. I want you to encourage tonight to know that if there's something preventing you from dwelling in God's presence, fellowshipping with him, if something's preventing him from hearing your prayers, get it dealt with tonight. I challenge you. I encourage you. I Ready? I beg you. Because there is no peace other than walking with the Prince of Peace, and that's Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born 
lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you want to live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.